How are we doing, Watermark? Come on. Hey, anybody bring their Bibles? Okay. Man, isn't it amazing that we can come in this place and uh, celebrate all that God is doing for us and sing songs of worship to him and freely carry this into this place? And I was just thinking, I woke up this morning overwhelmed with gratitude for those who have fought for that freedom, our veterans. Can we thank our military, those who've gone before us? Sometimes we'd have you stand, but today we want to stand for you and, uh, because we know that you've stood for us and uh, we do appreciate you and you know who you are, so thank you for, for what you've done so that we can freely gather like this today in freedom. And so I'm, I'm excited about the message. We are back in Philippians, going to start in chapter two and uh, I don't know, I want to start with this question. Have you ever had to deal with a really unreasonable person? That's the laughter of familiarity, okay? So I don't know who comes to mind, what situation comes to mind. Maybe one this week. I had maybe the most unreasonable person uh, dealing that I've ever had this past week. And so I was selling a vehicle online. This is something that I do. It's kind of a hobby. You fish or hunt or crochet or whatever it is that you do. Uh, I sell vehicles. And so out of my side hustle, if you will. And so I had just gotten this car and this guy called me. He wanted this car. I told him that I had just got this car and uh, he was asking me a lot of questions I didn't know the answers to and kind of told him the story. And it was clear that he really wanted it because uh, for four days consecutively, he texted me every day. Now he was from Abilene, about three and a half hours away, the other side of Abilene. And he said, hey, I need you to come meet me. And I said, well, I understand you need that, but I can't. I'm, I'm really busy this week. We're hosting a mini conference here. Uh, I, I cannot come and meet you. You will have to, if you want to get this vehicle, you will have to come here to Dallas. And he said, okay, well, could you have it shipped here? And I said, oh, I can look into that for you if you'd like. Uh, and then he was like, hey, did you find somebody? Did you find somebody? Did you find somebody? Did you find somebody? And I just was like, I, man, I don't, I haven't, I haven't yet. You know, you're welcome to look too. And, uh, and then... <laughs> On Wednesday, or no, on Tuesday, he, he says, he calls and says, hey, I'm, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and come and get it, uh, Wednesday morning. I said, well, here's the problem with that. I've got a full-time job, and uh, I don't know that I'm going to be able to meet you to, to show you the car. And, and uh, I said, okay, we kind of, we're talking, we're working it out. And he's like, well, you, you, you know, can you figure something out? I said, you know what, I, I will have a tight hour at lunch. I could meet you at 11.30. If you could be there at 11.30, I can meet you there and we can, we can do that really quick. But I, it's going to be tight. And he just kind of blew that off a little bit. And, and I said, hey, a heads up. Before 11.30, I'm on a conference call. So if you need anything, I won't be able to answer the phone 11 to 11.30. Well, on that, while I'm on that conference call, 11 to 11.30, he called me six times. <laughs> and... And so I call him back. He is on the other end of the phone, even more exasperated. And, he's, and I hear the GPS in the background, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. He's like, I don't know where we are, you know, and lots of curse words, lots of profanity. He's like, you're going to have to come and meet us. And I said, well, remember, I told you I had a tight hour. I don't know, I don't know where you are either, you know. And, uh, and I say, can you, can you tell me what you see? And he's like, I see buildings. I'm like, I need more, like names on buildings, address numbers, streets, highways, 
anything would be helpful. And he goes, well, how the heck am I supposed to know where I am? And I'm like, well, maybe you could walk in somewhere and ask them where you are. I said, I said, can you drop a pen? He said, what the heck is a pen? And I'm like, and so I'm in this conversation and it's just like, oh yeah, he's mad at me. I'm like, like I took all of the traffic and set it here in Dallas. I don't know, you know, it's, it's not my fault that you're lost. And, and so it, we're having this conversation. I said, well, you're going to have to come and meet me. And I said, okay, for me to come and meet you, you're going to have to know where you're at. So he calls me back. He says, okay, I'm at a shell. <laughs> do, you, do you know which shell? How am I supposed to know? Maybe you could walk in the shell and ask them, hey, what is your address? And so, you know, he's with his wife. They're pulling a trailer for the car. His wife goes in, asks where they are. They call me back with address. We see, it's about 15 minutes away. I'm looking at the time. Like, I don't have time for this. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm literally supposed to be speaking at a conference in a few minutes. Okay, so I'm on the phone. I'm like, y'all are going to have to stall because I'm dealing with an unreasonable person. And... Um, and so I go and I meet him and, and they're following me and I'm talking to the wife on the phone. He's cursing me the entire way from the gas station to my house. She's like, honey, he's on the phone. He's like, I don't give up. And, uh, and so I'm just like upset because, you know, I'm like, what did I do? Like, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to help you. I get there. I'm like, hey, here's the car. Did you bring the money? You know, I, you're going to have to. And he goes, no, you're not going anywhere. you got to help me load it up on the trailer. You got it, buddy. You got it. Okay. And, uh, and so then I'm like, all right, I really have to go I, like an hour ago. And he goes, well, you need, to, you need to fix my GPS. Something's wrong with it. He just keeps telling me what I need to do, you know. And I said, I'm going to fix your GPS so that I don't ever see you again, okay? I didn't say that, but I thought, thought it. You know, I didn't say it because I'm a Christian, but I thought it. And, <laughs> and so I, I, I send him on his way. I get back. I try to gather myself, you know, to, to go back to this, this conference we're hosting. And, and I'm just flustered. I mean, I'm just dealing with an unreasonable person, a relationship with lots of friction and and so the next day, my phone rings, and I see it's his number. And, and I'm just kind of like, just like that. I'm like, oh, man, I thought we agreed to break up, you know? <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, maybe he's calling to apologize. Probably not. Hello? Hey, let me ask you a question. Okay. Yes, sir. When's the last time you changed the oil in this car? So I told you I just got that car. Remember, I, remember I, I told you I had only had it for a week and a half. I, I've never even checked the oil. Because there's not any in it. That's what he tells me. And when he says that, my heart just sinks. Right? Because it, it kind of justified all his frustrations, I feel like. I'm like, oh no, you know, I, I don't want to be a part of that narrative. Because I, I've read some things about oil and vehicles. Evidently, it's important. And... Um, <laughs> In fact, I texted my, my friend Gary who owns uh, a shop, a mechanic shop, and, and he's telling me, yeah, you know, that's really, really important. In fact, I've seen many vehicles come in completely ruined because they don't have oil. In fact, I went on Google and just asked, you know, how important is oil in a car? And, and I'll, I'm going to tell you what Google said. It, it reads this. When car... When, a car runs out of oil, friction between the piston and the cylinder causes extreme heat. 
causing further cylinder wear. At the critical point, the pistons get so hot that they actually melt into its cylinders and lock up. Unfortunately, all pistons are hard joined to crankshafts and engine's momentum is too high to stall immediately as other cylinders are still making explosions and gathering and generating power. The crankshaft usually disjoints from the piston and damages the engine by breaking a hole in it, turning the engine to junk. Literally says, turning the engine to junk. Now you think about this for a moment. Think about how valuable a vehicle is and the most valuable part of the vehicle being the engine and all of these parts within the engine working together. There's 14,000 parts in an engine working together and you think about this one critical additive, this one critical ingredient to make that engine work and it's oil. It's an inexpensive but extremely necessary. It's the one piece that if you don't have, it turns to junk. It gets heated and there's friction and there's explosions. There's breakdown, there's seizing, and it stops dysfunction. And the good news in our situation is the vehicle ended up being fine. It was okay. We're able to add oil to it. But as I thought about our relationship and our interaction, that's what we needed. We needed something to remove the friction. In that dysfunctional interaction, in that the unreasonableness that I sensed from him. And as you think through your relationships, that's what you need is something to remove the friction. Every one of you have difficult relationships. It may be your marriage. It may be an unreasonable neighbor. It may be your boss. It may be a coworker. It may be your in-laws. Who is it for you? I want you to think. Don't elbow or point, but think. <laughs> Who is that unreasonable, very difficult relationship in your life? Is it a relative? It's the person that you're afraid is going to get heated. That sometimes when you're talking with them, it breaks down. There's friction. Maybe your community group. Or maybe that couple in your community group that always wants to meet at their house. No matter what, they're like, hey, we, can, you, can you guys come to our house today? Or, or that one that never shows up. Or that one that continues to trip over those same problems no matter what you say. It doesn't seem like they're listening. Who is the difficult relationship for you? I want to talk about today from the scriptures, Philippians chapter 2, an additive that if you add into that relationship, it will remove friction. That necessary ingredient is humility. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is going to talk to us about hum how humility brings unity. How there is no unity without humility. How humility is the necessary ingredient to bring about unity in any relationship. And so we're, we're looking at this text, looking at how to remove friction in relationships with humility. As we move through Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5, we're going to look at how to pursue unity with humility by overlooking your differences, by intentionally taking interest, and by looking to Christ. Those three things from this text. Let me remind you that Paul started this church. He loved this church in Philippi. He started it with three people, 
a demon-possessed girl, a wealthy fashionista, and a military veteran. Now you can imagine the differences between those three and how unity would have been difficult, how it would be possible for disagreements to exist. And so he's writing to address disagreements today. There's something going on in this church that he loves dearly where people aren't getting along. And he's like, you have to get along. This is important to be Christ's body. You have to get along. He pins this in 62 AD from a Roman prison, around 62 AD, prison in Rome. He writes a letter to the church in Philippi, and we read it today, verse one. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now you read that and it's almost like some flowery language that you skip over. It's like all of these things. But what, what you see in here is a very compelling if-then statement. If you, if you do this, if you have this, if you do this, if you do this, then you must. I'm, I'm trying to compel you. This is Paul trying to be as persuasive as he possibly can be. In fact, here would be my simplified version of this verse. Uh, this is the, the new JP version. If you've, been, if you've benefited from Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you are kind, like this would be so that people would be not in their heads. Oh, we have the Holy Spirit. Oh yeah, we've benefited from Jesus. Oh yeah, we're believers. Then do me a solid favor and get along. Be unified. There's some sort of infighting going on in the church. We see this even more so in Philippians chapter four where he calls out two people directly Verse two, he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche. Those are their rapper names. <laughs> I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. That's what we see here. Have the same mindset of Jesus, right? He repeats this idea, being like-minded, having of one mind, one spirit, look toward unity. And so to pursue unity with humility, to remove friction, my first point is that we need to overlook our differences. What Paul is saying here is focus on what you have in common. There's so many things you have in common. You have the same spirit. You have the mind of Christ. You have the same love that God has given you for people. These are the things that you have in common. Can you overlook your differences? Because right now, more than any other time that I can remember, we are teaming up based on what we have in common to focus on the differences of others. We having, we're always trying to find out who we are with Myers-Briggs or DISC or StrengthsFinder or Enneagram, you know, whether you're a lion, otter, beaver, to say, hey, this is me and you're different than me. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about two kinds of people. There's Whataburger and In-N-Out. Remember that? Two kinds of people that say how, they, how you pronounce GIF. There's two kinds of people. I kept that pretty tame, right? I didn't go, there's two kinds of people. You know, there's, there's those that like Baylor and those that like TCU. Or there's, there's those that like A&M and those that like UT. Like we, we kept it. I didn't go, you know, hey, you know, there's Republicans and Democrats. Uh-oh. I, I didn't say, uh... Hey, how do you feel about Donald Trump? Right, we, 
Because these are the things you go on social media. We are all about teaming up and division. We, are, we use divisive words. It's constantly us, them right now in our culture. Paul's gonna show us this is poison. That division kills the church. And so you overlook your differences by focusing on what you agree on. Before I went into vocational ministry, before I was employed by the church, I was in sales. I went through several different sales training programs. All of them started with a same idea. Before, whenever you meet with a customer, before you talk about your product, before you begin your presentation, you find common ground. This is sales 101. You find something that you have in common with them and you talk about that. It is sales 101, but can I tell you something? It is relationship 101. It is communication 101. That if you're constantly thinking of someone and focusing on how you're different, you are going to unknowingly drive a wedge between you and them. Can you think about what you have in common? And if you're both Christians, you have God's Holy Spirit in common. So start there. This is the idea that saved my marriage. I've been married 14 years to an amazing, beautiful woman who is very, very different than I. I'm an extrovert. She's a homebody. I love to go and do. I mean, we, we have, I, I'm, I stay at 30,000 feet in vision, spontaneous. She loves a plan. She always wants the details. There are a thousand differences that I could list between. I'm six foot seven inches tall. She's five three, right? I'm male. She's female. Lots of differences between us. And in the first two years in marriage, it was like we were playing tug of war. You come my way. You come my way. We're trying to change each other. More me than her. I was trying to change her into the wife that I thought that I wanted. And one day through the grace of God's grace working through community and his word. I received the advice like, you know, you have the same Holy Spirit. So when she brings something to you, you don't have to invalidate it. You can start with your first step can be God. Is that you? Even if you think it's a ridiculous idea, even if it's something that you disagree with, you can say, God, is that you? Because she has your Holy Spirit. She's a voice of reason in my life. She's not wrong. We're just different. And you know what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives? He's making both of us like Christ, which is to make both of us over time through sanctification similar. And I can trust that process. And when I learned I could trust that process, everything in my marriage changed. And this doesn't just apply to marriages. You can apply this to any relationship with any believer. Do I trust God's Holy Spirit at work in them? Instead of focusing on our differences, can I build a relationship on what we have in common? And when you begin to do that, everything will change. So humility that leads to unity overlooks differences. This removes friction like oil. He says in verse three, do nothing 
out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. What can we do out of selfish ambition? Say it with me so I know you're listening. What can we do out of selfish ambition? Oh, you guys don't know. Well, let me read it to you again. Do nothing. Let me ask it. What can we do out of selfish ambition? Nothing. Nothing. Now, that's one of those texts like you read, you know, like, do not worry about anything. Oh, right. You know, (laughs) give that my best shot, you know. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. How, how, here's how. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests. Stop looking to your own interests all the time, but each of you to the interests of others. Selfish, do nothing out of selfish ambition or kenodoxia is the Greek word. Vain conceit, kenodoxia. It translates directly to a word we don't use often. You see it in the King James Version, vainglory. Vainglory. Self-glory. For, for your own glory. You trying to be king, you've got to stop doing that if you want to appear to be a Christ follower. Even sometimes we're humble for our own glory. And so if humility is like oil that you put in a relationship, selfishness is like sand. It only adds to the friction. You going into that conversation, into that relationship, thinking about you is only going to create friction. So to remove friction and pursue unity, number two, intentionally take interest in anyone but you intentionally take interest. You've heard it said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Have you heard that? Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of others more. That's biblical humility. Thinking more of others, putting them first, elevating them above yourself taking an interest in them, which is hard. And at the end of Philippians 1, you see a word, striving, striving for unity, as though to say it's very difficult. It's going to require work on your part to work hard for unity so that you would elevate them, take interest in them. You know, they say that this was true about Billy Graham. When Billy Graham passed away, uh, a journalist wrote an article about them, about one of uh, their interactions with him. He said they had 30 minutes in a green room with Billy Graham and they were so excited for all of the questions that they were going to ask in the, the article that they were going to write. And, they, and he come, came into the room just full of energy, a bright smile, and he sat down and he began to pepper them. Billy Graham began to pepper them with questions. Where are you from? How long have you been married? Tell me about your kids. Oh, what are they interested in? Well, where do you live? How long have you done this? Why did you get into this? Tell me more about how you love it. What's your favorite thing? And he said he just got so wrapped up in answering his questions. The entire 30 minutes had gone by and he didn't get a single question in. But he had everything he needed for his article. Because he had sat with a truly humble person. That humble person made him feel like royalty. That Billy Graham had taken such an interest in this journalist. They got lost in talking about themselves. He's professional. This is someone that, that knows better. 
was just wrapped up by the humility of another individual. This is what Paul is calling us to. You think about when something is interesting, whether it's art or a movie or dancing or anything that you might find interesting, a display interesting, it pulls you in. You, you get absorbed in it. And he's saying, hey, work toward being pulled in to those you're seeking to have a relationship with, no matter how you feel about them, no matter how different you are, take an interest in them. And so think about what you do with that person that you thought of up front. When you're talking with them, is your, is your mind racing around? They're, they're talking, but you're having other conversations in your head. Or maybe you're driving down the road having conversations with them in your head. Maybe you're having arguments with them when they're not even present. Right? Continuing to build a case, right? Well, you can't wait when they're talking. You can't wait to drop your brilliant bomb on them. Like, a, like they're saying something, wah, wah, wah. But you, what you're going to say, it's going to blow their mind. You can't wait to tell them and show them how smart you are. And they're, they're talking and, and you, you're interrupting. You can't wait. You know, you, before they're done with a sentence, you're already starting another one. Do you think about what can they do for you? When you look at people, do you treat them all the same? Or are you guilty of favoritism because of your job, because of what you've done, because of the way that you think? You look at people and you think, hey, how can I use them for my benefit? That's the opposite of what he's saying. How can I use them to benefit my life? Or in the brief interaction that we have, how can I serve them? And consider them more valuable than my life. Value others above yourself. James 1.19 says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. He says to take your interest and put it on them. Which is going to take some intentionality. But everybody does this. Everybody does this. I had a birthday this week. And when, when someone, and when they know it's your birthday, right, and they come up to you, they, they start the conversation by celebrating you. Like, I've got something I want to talk to you about, but happy birthday. Right? But you don't need a day to celebrate somebody. Let me go one more with you. This afternoon, we're going to go to a wedding. My family, we're going to a wedding. You've all been to weddings, Right? And you know how it is when the bride comes in the back, the doors open and everybody is to their feet and everybody turns to them. And as they walk down this aisle, you know, we do that slow turn, you know, where we're just like eyes glued to them. You know, we're just watching them because it's like, it is all about them, right? That's not your, but you know, that person walking down the aisle, like today it's, it's, it's a girl I work with. You know, Wednesday I saw her in the cube farm. But today when she walks in, all of a sudden she's Princess Diana. Like we're on our feet and we're looking and we're paying her honor. You know? And it's can I tell you, her boss's 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 boss will be there on their feet paying her honor. Because it's her day, it's her moment. We all know how to do this. You all can play that mind game with, with yourself when someone comes in. It's like, okay, what would it be like for me to treat them like royalty? It's sad that we have to play that mind game. 
but would I treat them differently if, if they could change my life, if they could do something really important for me, if they were extremely wealthy or very powerful, would I treat them different and treat them like that? That's what he's saying. Work toward intentionally taking interest in them. Because you know what we have in common? A father. God. See, if you're a parent, you may have a slight advantage in this text. Because he's saying, hey, I want you to do for each other what you want your children to do for each other. Like, think about how honored you are if your daughter walked in there to your son and just said, hey, would you please forgive me? I was a little short with you this morning when you were pouring the Cheerios and you spilt them all over the place and and, you know, mom wanted me to clean them up. I, would you forgive me? I just was a little short. And we, wouldn't you, as a parent, your heart just fill with pride? Like, yes. What you wouldn't do is, oh, no, 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 that wasn't your fault. You don't need to ask for forgiveness. You know, just sit back. Man, that's amazing. Just do what you would want your children to do in relationships. Because it's God's children we're talking about. Like, you want to upset me hurt my child or drive down the road and talk poorly about my child or just think negative thoughts about my child as you're driving down the road. You want to hurt me. Think about how you're going to win in an argument with my child. Likewise, you want to honor me. You, you want my favor. Do something well for my children. Uh, my one of my daughters got baptized and um, a friend of our family's just bought them. They, they hardly know my daughter at all, but they bought them the most intentional gift. I mean, it was, it was five handwritten letters and each of the five letters had a, a gift that, that coincided with something that my daughter loves. She loves animals and so there were tickets to the zoo that she loves ice cream and so there was a gift card to get ice cream and, and, and um, there was a, a, a gift that she's supposed to give to someone else you know, and share the gospel with. It was just the intentionality verses, a picture of her baptism, a frame with a verse on it. I mean, it's such an intentional gift. My wife and I, as we sat around our island and we read these letters to my little girl, we both were sobbing, weeping, just moved. And, and when I got to the end of that, I'm just like, I would do anything for that person, you know, the person who gave this gift to my little girl. I'm like, if she ever needs a place to live, like she's moving in with us. Like we got her, you know, <laughs> she ever needs a kidney. I got two. Like one's hers. <laughs> it's done. You know, like that's just how I feel. I'll do anything for her because of the way she loved my child. And God's just saying, hey, children, get along. Love each other. Take interest in each other. You think about that lazy coworker who always talks about how busy they are. Maybe it's your in-laws who want to coach you up, constantly give you some advice, you know, tell you what you're doing wrong. Or maybe it's that, that community group member that's just difficult. How can you apply this to that relationship? Pour oil on that relationship. Remove friction from that relationship. Humility that leads to unity increases 
or intentionally takes interest. Verse 5. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Next week is going to be an amazing passage that is really the central to this letter that Paul wrote. And right now he teases that with, hey, if you want to get along, look to Jesus as your example. Is there a greater example of humility than Jesus Christ when God the one who created the heavens and the earth, put on flesh, not taking off deity, but putting on humanity, came here and humbled himself like a servant for you. So to remove friction by adding humanity or humility, rather, look to Christ. Number three, look to Christ. Could you imagine? If Christ is our example, could you imagine what it was like to stand in front of Herod who, who with his crown and his throne, who thinks he's powerful, or, or to stand in front of Pilate and Pilate saying, don't you understand that I control your destiny? And Jesus is calmly like, you, you have no authority except that which my father has entrusted to you. To, to stand in front of people that are whipping him and beating him and putting crowns on his head and having the ability as God to be able to squish them like a beetle. They spit in his face. Can you think of something more disgraceful or disrespectful than someone coming up to you and spitting on your face? You think about someone who you have the authority, complete authority over, walking up to you and spitting in your face and him taking that. And yet we feel so entitled to respect and so entitled to justice and so entitled for everyone to hear our side of the story. And so entitled to being right. And Paul says, I want you to have the same mind as Jesus. Is that clear enough for you? In your relationships, Jesus is your example. If you're not doing what Jesus did, you're not there yet. You don't have the same mind of Christ yet. He's not done with you. I will tell you that in all relationships, the ideal is if you bring some humility and they bring some humility, right? And I think the mistake that we make is, well, if they're not bringing humility, then I'm not bringing humility. Oh, if they just bring a little bit, then I'm just bringing a little bit. No, 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 it's the opposite. If they're not bringing it, you gotta bring enough for both of you. If they're just bringing a little bit of humility, you need to bring a whole lot. That's, that's having the same mindset of Christ. You're going to have to work harder than your fair share. Jesus, man, our example. You know, he, he put up with his numbskull disciples. And, and what did he do for them? He washed their feet. Like when they would wear sandals and, and walk through animal excrement. You have God taking off his robe and washing their feet. And we think, what an amazing example of Jesus. I'm so glad he did that. Surely he doesn't want me to do that. He said this, 
Uh, John 13, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That almost sounds like Jesus expects that of us. That's crazy. Anybody ever washed somebody's feet? I did once. It was a kind of a magic moment in Haiti. I was walking through this village, and I, I sensed the Lord. There was a guy there washing his clothes, and I sensed the Lord wanted me to wash his feet. And I'm like, I don't want to do that, God. That's going to be awkward. How, am I, how is that going to go down? And and it was kind of this magic moment because this guy's playing this flute in the background. In, in fact, just watch this for a moment. That's, it's not super humble of me to show you that. A little awkward. Here's why I do. Because even our humility here on earth is messy. Like as I go to do that, thinking that it's obedience, I know that everybody there is watching me, thinking, oh man, what a great leader. I know there's a guy with a camera right there. I see him. I'm thinking, maybe I can use this as a sermon illustration one day. Today's the day, you know? <laughs> All right? It's so messy that there's even ego in our humility and yet he's calling us to do something to honor others when they can do nothing for us in return that we're not looking for fairness or even justice but we're bringing grace to the equation as Christ does and I tell you the most discouraging thing is you can't make yourself humble. That's why, because your motives are so mixed, you can't leave here. Like if you left here and just I just want to make myself humble, you wouldn't even be doing that for the right reasons. But you can be humbled. And the way that you're humbled is you stand next to greatness. It's the way I felt when my wife and I this past year visited the Grand Canyon and I stood at the edge and I looked at this chasm that was so huge, this ginormous hole in the ground painted with beauty and I yelled out and my voice disappeared into the open space and I felt so small. I was humbled. It's what you feel if you're in Colorado and you see a 14er disappearing into the clouds a monument, a statue, if you will, created by God. And you feel so small. I can remember being next to a lion with no fence in between us and seeing with every step he took all the muscles flexing his shoulder and his legs, thinking he could turn and at will devour me in a moment. And I felt so small. And none of these compare to the magnitude of the one who created the heavens and the earth, who spoke that lion into existence with words. 
who formed you in your mother's womb, who created all of the people who ever lived and will live. If you want to bring humility to a relationship, you start every day by looking to Jesus, spending intentional time with him. People can tell, people in my life, they know if I've spent time with Christ or not that particular day. Every single morning I wake up, I have these prayer cards, and and on one of them is, is a verse in Ephesians that just starts out, be completely humble. I have to, if I don't pray that, I will be completely prideful. I will be given to arrogance. I will hurt people. But I have to start with Jesus saying, you're God and I'm not. I'm small and you're huge. Bigger than anything I can imagine. And so to bring, to remove friction from relationships, the oil that you add is humility. The way that you add humility to relationships is by overlooking your differences, by intentionally taking interest, and by looking to Christ. And to help you remember that, it's O-I-L, oil. Overlook your differences, intentionally take interest, and look to Christ. Says this in Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. This is what Paul is after. It is like precious oil being poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. In biblical times, they wouldn't put oil in vehicles. They would use oil to refresh their own body. Okay, it's something they would put when their muscles were sore, like getting a massage. It was refreshing. And he says, this is what it's like to dwell together in unity. As I drove down the road on Thursday, I was thinking about that man. And I was, I'd been in this text, you know, and the Holy Spirit's just messing with me. And he's just like, you know, it seemed like, it's like you didn't honor me in that interaction. So I called him. I didn't want to. In my flesh, I didn't feel like I had anything to own. But I called him. He said, hello. Hey, it's me. You know, you bought the car. And hey, I just wanted to tell you, I, I was, when you were here, I was really rushed. I had somewhere else I needed to be. And I'm just afraid that I didn't represent the God that I worship in that interaction with you. And um, I didn't have the same mindset of Christ. I was, I was acting out of my frustration and, and the stress of feeling like I needed to be somewhere else. And, and, I, and will you please forgive me? And he laughed, and at first I thought he was scoffing at me, but everything changed in that moment. I could feel him smiling through the phone, and and he said this. He said, it would give me great joy to extend grace to you. He's a brother. And he said, said, you know what? I I don't go to the city often, never if I can can avoid it. And, um, And he said, so it was really stressful for me too, and I know that I took that out on you, and I'm really sorry. And I hung up that phone and I felt refreshed. I, I just was like, you know, I, going into the call, I was like, There's, I do not want to do this. But coming out of it, it's like, you know what? I just feel clean, renewed. Thanksgiving's around the corner. You're gonna have lots of opportunity to apply this message, okay? To bring oil into relationships. <laughs> Let me pray that you would.
Father, uh, thank you for this incredible text. Father, thank you for your example of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the ways that you love us and the things that you call us to. And even though they're hard, things like you ask us to do nothing out of selfish ambition, which is really a giant question of our motive. But in humility to consider those that you've created around us more important than ourselves. God, we're really going to need your help for that one. Would you help us to bring oil into relationships and to remove friction? As we stand amazed at your son, Jesus Christ, help us to be humbled. It is in his name. Amen.